the startup capital of the UK, Silicon Valley by the sea, Brighton is home to some of the most creative minds developing disruptive and purpose-led businesses. You're listening to the Brighton Startup Podcast, the show that brings you exclusive interviews with the founders, CEOs, and investors of the most exciting Brighton businesses today. With your host, Chetan Padia. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Series 2. We hope you're keeping happy and healthy in these strange times. One industry that's benefited from the pandemic lockdown is cycling. And today we'll be hearing from Body Rocket, a Brighton-based company founded by Eric de Gaulier. They're using cutting-edge sensor technology to replace wind tunnels to measure aerodynamic drag for performance cyclists. As we're recording this, their crowdfunder is live and is in fact overfunded. And it's really great to see them doing so well and I can't wait to see what's in store. So tell us a little bit about you and your company, Body Rocket. Uh, sure. So, uh, as you said, Body Rocket is replacing uh, wind tunnels, or at least augmenting wind tunnels, um, with sensors that are built directly into the the bike. And the reason that we're we're doing that is is just that sensors in a wind tunnel are sort of by nature fixed and limited to just testing, whereas a, a body on a bike is changing all the time, and so it really needs a, a different solution. You can't test it once and assume it's always going to be exactly the same. Very cool. So, can you tell me uh, how you came to be working on this? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty long journey. Um, so the original sort of frustration with the idea uh, or with the, the, the status quo and the, where the idea was born uh, was back in 2004 when I was uh, training and, and then racing at the 2004 Paralympic Games. Um, and I, I had raced at a reasonably high level before that, uh, but I was really surprised when I got to the Olympic training centers uh, to find that we, we still didn't have any access to, to wind tunnels or any other sort of um, aerodynamics. It, it just simply wasn't a consideration. Um, and as an engineer, uh, knowing that aerodynamics is by far the the largest factor in what's slowing you down. So you, your choices are get stronger or get more aerodynamic. Uh, that one of those wasn't being addressed was uh, was shocking uh, to me. Um, I was working in uh, bicycle power meters at the time, which was the other side of that that component, um, and started to think about uh, with the knowledge that I had how we could do something similar. Uh, so it struck upon on the idea uh, because ultimately what's happening in a wind tunnel uh, is force sensing, just like the the power meters that we were uh, that I was working on at the time. Um, so there was a, a sort of an, an obvious link. Uh, it just took a, a long time and some new technologies for that to, to all come together. Very cool. So we've talked about this before, but for our listeners, can you tell us a bit more about the technology? Sure. So in short, what's happening in a wind tunnel is uh, the, the wind tunnel is measuring the, the wind speed, which everyone sort of assumes is the, the, the important thing, but it's also measuring the force that with which the wind is is pushing on you. And then so the equation to calculate your coefficient of drag, which is the important number that we uh, can compare uh, athletes or, or vehicles against each other with, uh, you need to know uh, both of those factors and, and a, a few other things about, about wind, but those are the, um, the two key ones. Um, and uh, so to do that um, out on the road means that we needed to find some other place where we could measure those drag forces. Uh, and we've uh, integrated the, the sensing into the bike itself, which means that we do ignore uh, some of the bike uh, to look specifically at the rider. But that's the thing that's that's changing and is the real design problem here. Um, so ultimately, yeah, what we have is a system that measures wind speed and then also measures the, the drag force on, on the rider. Uh, the best way that I'm, I, can, I can think of to 
to uh, describe this to, to people that are just kind of hearing this for the same time and trying to get their head around it is we're measuring how hard the bike is pushing you forward through the wind. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so and are there other people doing the same sort of thing that you are? People are doing, they're trying to, to solve the same problem, but they're not doing the same thing that we're doing. And that was really the next step in, in my journey was there was a device that came out in, uh, well, started to become popular, I guess, sort of 2008, 2009, and it was measuring wind speed and then trying to use a bicycle power meter to uh take an estimate at how hard the, the bike was pushing you through the wind, if you will. Um, and it had to make estimates about rolling resistance and drivetrain losses and a few other things. And, and I saw that and I thought, well, this is, you know, I've thought about this before and I, I came up with some ideas. Um, and this is, you know, this, there's other people going for it now. So I really I should really get out there and, and do something about this. Um, and I was at a good point in, in my life, uh, sort of. Um, it was 2008, the economy was crashing. I was at a startup that was trying to raise funds and it was uh, sort of clearly going into a death spiral, uh, and I, I um, uh, kind of disengaged from that company and started uh, tinkering out with some prototypes and, and came up with uh, my first prototype of the device, um, really got my my confidence behind that it wasn't just theory, that this could, this could function, um, and uh, yeah, started to, uh, um, when the company went bust, I, I came back to London, I was in North Wales at the time, came back to London and started to uh, go around and try to, to raise uh, funds for it at that point, um, and uh, I think we'll, we'll probably, I'll, I'll save it as, the, the, as we kind of unfold the story here but um, I was fortunate that I couldn't convince anyone to to give me the funding at that time. Interesting. So there's probably some wisdom that maybe they were imparting on you. <laughs> um, it, it was it was just dumb luck, I think. So they were saying, I don't believe anybody would pay a thousand plus pounds for a, a device that you know goes on a bicycle. Um, and having come from the bicycle power meter industry, where we had been selling people those devices for a decade already, I, I really had no doubt that that was going to happen. Um, but uh, the U, the UK wasn't really there at that point yet. It took until 2012, and then just the you know incredible success of the um, uh, the British team at the uh, the Olympics in in pretty much all cycling events. Um, and then after that, the, the the tune of people kind of changed. But I had I was in a different place in life at that point. I had taken a fairly interesting job at another startup. I had an opportunity to build a team from uh, three people up to, to thirteen, and and uh, you know be adding uh, millions to the, the bottom line of the company. That was it was an exciting and interesting challenge for me. And so that, that at that point, this had become kind of a, a weekend hobby. Um, and what I um, the things that I had been struggling with uh, the things I was trying to overcome in, in 2010, I didn't really have my head around um, what was going to be required there. And so when I came back to this um, in uh, started to take a look at it seriously again, sort of 2016, um, I realized that we were just getting to the point on some of the sensing technologies, um, uh, thanks to um, uh, autom industrial automation um, and to some extent uh, what's going on in autonomous vehicles right now, some of the sensors that are required for those industries, as well as, as VR and AR headsets, as a matter of fact. Um, some of the things that are going on in those industries and, and, and required uh, for that, um, we're tapping into. Um, and it's really, uh, it, it's brought the technology out in those areas um, to the point where we, we can actually do uh, what we need to do. So when I when I picked this up again, um, uh, 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, those sensors weren't there and they weren't going to be there for another five years. So in, in that sense, I did kind of dodge a bullet that I, I didn't raise uh, too early before the tech was actually viable so let's just go back to the the 
fact that you were um, you ha you had people telling saying to you that no customers would pay that amount of money for um, for this sort of tech, and you know that there are customers that will do that. So, who are those customers, and how are you convincing them to come to you? Those customers are, are people who are already avid cyclists and are buying the uh, the cutting edge technology of today. Uh, and that technology happens to be uh, bicycle power meters. If you can't improve your aerodynamics, the next best thing you can do is increase the amount of power that you can put out. And there's really been a revolution in terms of how people can can train and race um, because it's, a, it's an instantaneous feedback on how much effort you're exerting. Um, and uh, after the, the invention of those, there was quite a bit of research that went into those um, and equations that really describe uh, an athlete's ability to uh, to sustain training loads, um, and so um, training has become much more scientific because of that. Um, th those same athletes are still looking for that next edge. What's happened over the last really 10 years in cycling is that aerodynamics has become an increasingly um, big focus of the industry. So if you buy a bicycle, it's it's you know being advertised with aerodynamic properties. Um, if you buy wheels, uh, helmet, uh, skin suits now, um, pretty much everything. You can buy bicycle computers and you can buy socks that are advertising their, um, their aerodynamic uh, properties. Um, but the biggest component there is the, the, the person's body. And what hadn't changed that whole time is that you still had to go into a wind tunnel um, or go to one of a handful of velodromes in the world um, that uh, could, could give you uh, a point in time, really, of what your aerodynamics were. Um, and that is really the, the state of the art right now. And it's, it's been that way for several decades. Um, these attempts to uh, measure wind speed and, and power out on the road um, have kind of come back in, in uh, full force over the last three or four years because people know there's money there and there's an opportunity. Um, but the, the solution fundamentally hasn't changed from what it was in, in the you know, 2010s um, and has the same sort of fundamental problems. Um, so we've chosen to take a different approach, uh, something that is, uh, will be scientifically valid that we can actually test and, and validate you know, wind tunnel um, so that, uh, that we can have the, um, the, the real hard evidence that will allow us to work with it. The, the top professionals in uh, in the industry. I see. Uh, so, are those professionals coming directly to you to buy your tech, or is the business model more that you sell into those race teams? Well, so our long-term business model is that we're selling hardware, and we're selling it not just to the race teams, but we're selling it to consumers. The uh, bicycle power meter industry is. Uh, upwards of, of 700 million uh, right now and it's sort of gone from hardcore racers to you know amateur enthusiasts to people who have decided that they are, you know are avid cyclists you know cycling um, fans and and uh, are going to do it as a, as a serious hobby and they might pick up a seven to ten grand bike and, and want it outfitted with with all the the top stuff and so as as soon as we've established that we, you know we're working with the professional teams that is sort of our arc as well we're very much looking at power meters as the the trajectory and the path that, that we want to take in terms of of customers coming to us um, we are still in in development we're not actually selling a product yet and so um, we've just 
passed a, a pretty big milestone stone there with some wind tunnel tests that uh, that we did late last year and then um, just last month. Um, and as soon as we published our, our first results from uh, from those tests, um, the, the attitude in the industry changed uh, noticeably. So prior to that, when we were talking to people, to professional teams, they would say, yeah, of course we're interested, but we, we know, we're not really in the business of supporting startups. So when you have something we can test, um, then, then let us know. Um, and as soon as we published those results, then um, we had those professional teams reaching out to us, ones we had talked to as well as ones that, that had simply been um, following us and were aware of us, um, and have and we're, we're now scheduling, um, you know, first evaluations uh, with those teams for for later in this summer. Uh, our development path is is such that we expect to be working with um, a handful of, of top professional teams and writers by the end of this year, um, and our um, our objective is to launch a commercial product at the, the industry trade shows in late 2021. Amazing. So I've seen that you recently ran a crowdfunding campaign. Can you tell us a bit more about that? <laughs> we are in the midst of a crowdfunding campaign. Um, what can I tell you about it? I can tell you that we chose to launch it on Friday the 13th in at the start of a pandemic. Um, <laughs> so our timing probably could have been better. Um, we were amazed at the response. Uh, we chose to do Crowdcube, which is a um, uh, equity crowdfunding uh, platform. Um, given the the cost of the the device and how far out we were, we didn't feel that it was uh, the right thing to do to go through like a product uh, kind of campaign like a, like Kickstarter. Um, so we uh, the way those work, you launch in a private uh, mode for several days to let people you've already agreed um, uh, to invest come in and to you know send it out to your mailing list and then you go public on the, on the site from there. Um, so we uh, opened our site to our uh, um, our existing investors who were all going to be uh, reinvesting and then sent out an email to our email list. And within four hours, we'd um, passed our 80,000 uh, pound target. So uh, we, we just had no idea what to expect. And then we certainly didn't expect that kind of a, a strong response. Uh, so it's just been a fantastic validation that, that not just the professional teams that have been reaching out to us, but um, the consumers, the customers um, that uh, that we would expect to be selling to um, are, are interested in, in you know, putting in, in money and in, Investing in us uh, as well, so um, that's been it's been a great response. Um, as you would imagine, um, this has been a, a trying time for people raising funds on a on a crowdfunding platform right now. So it's been it's been ups and downs for the last week. We've got uh, one week down, three weeks to go, um, but we're at 120,000 pounds, and um, we'll just keep going until we uh, until we hit the um, uh, the cap that we've we've set. Uh, as an as an equity campaign, you you do uh, you do want to. Uh, draw a line as to how much you, you're going to give away there, but uh, yeah, still still pushing on that, um, and uh, that's, that's a major source of stress at the moment. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming those are funds that are going into basically getting production ready to start sending units out to people. Is that right? No, uh, they're not actually. Uh, they are from taking what is a, a wind tunnel, uh, you know, lab device out onto the road. So um, the, our, our arc here is to, uh, that we first of all we had to prove it's not been done before, so we had to to prove it, um, in, and and get those results. Um, and uh, then the next step is to take that out onto onto the road where it starts to be to to have value because of course in the wind tunnel if you're if you're already in the wind tunnel then you don't need our device you you have the wind tunnel um, that that's just simply uh, a check that needs to be done as um, to 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 validate that um, what we're doing out on the road is is um, is the real thing um, so that's our next step so we're taking our prototype uh, device out onto the the road. 
um, and uh, that's what we'll be working with professional athletes with. So our our service uh, or our offering this fall will be a service, and for the next year, that's where we'll be at while we're creating the the product. So the path here is to to get validation and a minimum viable product and, and a revenue stream um, from the prototype that we have right now, and at that point, we're going to need to raise again um, uh, as a as a hardware device. You're looking at kind of a, a million to to two million to um, uh, to develop that that product and and fill the pipelines and do the marketing everything you need to do for a for a product launch. So one more step, one more raise before we're actually out um, uh, with a with a product in in the real world. Uh, okay. But there will be that sort of one year in between where we're a, a service provider to uh, the existing um, wind tunnel users and, and other uh, people who have a you know a commercial. Uh, interest and, and a commercial value in what we're doing. Yeah, and then you'll be taking your MVP, fine-tuning it, and getting it closer and closer to production ready, at least the design production ready at that point. Yeah, correct. Great. So one of the questions we like to ask people is, um, ask the founders that come on, is what have been the best and worst moments for you in your business? I think you told us one already, which was kind of a good and a bad moment when you struggled to raise the first time round. But I was wondering if there's any anything else that you might want to tell us about some, some good or particularly bad moments in your business so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, so by far the, the biggest thing, I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer at heart still, so the, the, the biggest... Um, and, and best moment for for me and for most of the team was walking out of the wind tunnel uh, after our first test, knowing that we had uh, we had the results in the bag that, that we needed. Um, so you know, literally, uh, I started the team two years ago. We got our first investment uh, two two years ago, um, and spent two years just beavering away in the lab, um, not really bothering with with getting out and telling people what we're doing because we didn't have a thing that was gonna uh, that justified you know catching people's attention yet, um, and that all. Changed when we came out of the wind tunnel so that was just a huge huge milestone for us yeah worst moments um yeah the you know the, the crowdfunding is kind of this this mixed thing i feel like on a, a normal uh, any sort of normal month we would have smashed through our targets and, and closed our campaign down a week after we opened it with with the money that we needed um but yeah just the fact that we can do this right now um uh, when, when a lot of the the other companies on the sites are, are funding to are struggling to to get any money in right now feel incredibly fortunate and also just incredibly proud that we've got something that that people can look at and say this is you know this is worth still uh, putting my money into even in these crazy times um, but I think the other thing is just sort of the, the the kind of stuff that you have to go through as a as a founder um, my very first hire um, worked in the company for three months she was an electronic engineer we didn't have the skill sets in-house to do some of the electronics we needed so that was a absolutely key hire um, she really just didn't fit into the the startup lifestyle and so uh, left after she designed the board but before it came in um, and so so there was a point there where there was nobody who was going to be able to bring that board up and um, and give us what we uh, you know any value uh, from that and so that was a very very scary moment for for me as a founder um, and something um, that uh, ultimately has worked out uh, just fantastic. The person who, who stepped in is is now our CTO um, and is one of the the most brilliant uh, engineers I've ever worked with. Um, so uh, yeah, again, sort of uh, a very very stressful moment, but but as often is the case, I think, um, really worked out for the best. Uh, it was a tough thing to get through and, and we came out stronger. That's great. That's a great story to hear. So another question, another question we'd like to throw at people is, is what's, is there a sort of guiding principle that you live by, whether it's a business principle or a personal principle that's driving your success? 
a guiding principle. I mean, I guess I like to be as honest and, and open. I, yeah, I think that I think there is in terms of how I'm building the company. Um, I have tr I've just strived to to build a, a level flat team where everyone feels that they are a part of this this team and are and are benefiting from that. And that's gone through how we structured our. Um, our equity um, through to how I, you know, how I hold meetings and, and treat people every day, um, and um, I, I hope that is uh, part of, of why we've got a, you know, a team that's been able to, to pull off some pretty amazing uh, um, technical hurdles that we've we've gone through um, and has been able to very seamlessly move to the the working from home that we've all had to do in the uh, the last uh, few weeks uh, with the um, with the change of the coronavirus. Um, but yeah, that is. Yeah, we, should, we should probably mention that uh, actually we're recording this the day after Boris Johnson has announced the sort of lockdown of the UK. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm assuming that's affecting your business in in some way. Certainly affecting your crowdfunding in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's certainly affecting the crowdfunding, um, it, and it's affecting, I think, everyone's business. We tried to get out ahead of this. Um, I, I didn't feel the government was doing um, enough, uh, but I also was trying to kind of balance, you know, running a company. Um, so we've tried to be doing everything sort of one step ahead of time, um, which we mostly did. A couple of weeks ago, we were uh, ready to work from home. Um, last Tuesday was the first day that the entire team was working from from home, um, and uh, um, then I, I, I thought. Uh, I thought we'd be okay just leaving some of the hardware and stuff in because we're in a, in a phase where it's a lot of data analysis and, and a lot of the physical development um, was was on on hold. Um, but we uh, yesterday then when we realized that our the co-working space that we're working out of, uh, which is the uh, the Fusebox um, Wired Sussex's um, uh, incubator. Um, when we realized that was going to be indefinitely uh, closed, then we had to scramble today and uh, go down there and pull our, our hardware out. And, and a lot of that's sitting in my spare bedroom and, and our mechanical engineer's uh, uh, garage right now. So, um, yeah, trying to trying to figure out the hardware side of things because we're going to have to move back into that in the next few weeks. And that's going to be a little more challenging. So suddenly feeling a bit more like a scrappy startup all over again. Well, it's funny. I, I'm right back where I started from. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> this, this is the spare bedroom where it was all born. Um, so yeah, uh, it's uh, it's kind of come full circle. It's it's a much more uh, um, sophisticated uh, setup that we have now, but uh, it's it's right back in the same place. That's great. Well, I mean, it it, it got you this far, so it's probably going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do feel like um, in that sense, we're we've we've covered some big hurdles, and and definitely um, future's looking looking brighter every day. So you mentioned you you're running the business out of, or you have been up until now, out of out of Wyatt Sussex. Mm. Um, can, you can you tell us more about what it's like running a business and the kind of business you're running from Brighton? Yeah, I'll. I'll start by saying that I didn't intend to run it from Brighton. My wife and I live in, in Haywards Heath, and we have for the last uh, 11 years now. Um, I first came to Brighton because I started with the, um, I was running the design team for a startup, uh, D3O. So when I started uh, Body Rocket, I, I was just working out of the, the spare bedroom here and thinking, well, I'm going to, you know, rent is pretty cheap here. I'm just going to do it here. Um, but uh, ultimately uh, got an offer to do some co-working out of Eagle Labs, uh, which is not too far from, from the fuse box at uh, Preston Circus. 
great crew there really got off to a, a nice start and we realized that um, as we were starting to, to bring employees in it wasn't just me um, that we would need somewhere and that was just that they gave us a fantastic deal to, to start working there so that just sort of became the the default thing um, they had a workshop which allowed us to do our physical prototypes that was that was amazing uh, then we found out about the uh, digital catapult center uh, at, at the fuse box um, and the opportunity to work amongst uh, you know a group of other like-minded people that were all working on similar technologies um, was amazing. So we jumped at the opportunity to, to do that. Um, and sort of around that time, I was realizing uh, we're going to need to be pulling people in from a lot of different directions. We do hardware, and Brighton's not particularly strong in hardware yet, um, but you don't need to go too far outside of Brighton, and there's a lot of, of, of that going on. There's industrial automation, there's automotive. Uh, and so to get those those people, Brighton is, is just a fantastic central hub. You can pull from, you know, Know, both directions of the coast and and down the main line and uh, we're a five-minute walk from the station and so um, I am at this point a real believer that, that we are going to stay in Brighton because we're going to need to keep pulling a really diverse skill set um, and Brighton is is a fantastic place to, to, to do that. Great and it's, and it's great to see you sort of um, getting so much value from the community as well so from from Eagle Labs from Fusebox and, and beyond. It's yeah, it, it, it is. I, I'll tell you, I, I feel still like it's a fight to start up a company in, in Brighton. There is, there's no central hub. You don't walk into any, you know, organization or office anywhere and say, I'm going to start a company. What are the resources I need? Um, there's a lot here, but you have to kind of find your way around it still. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I kind of have uh, th three resources that I, if I need to find something and I can't figure it out for myself, uh, I talk to uh, the MD at, at Wired Sussex, uh, Phil, and I, I call up my contact at Eagle Labs, and I call up someone at at um, Sussex Innovation Center. Um, and the thing is, I still get three different answers uh, when I ask a question. And so it does feel like it's it's more disjointed than it needs to be here in Brighton. But it is, there are a lot of resources here. And, and if, you, you know, if, you, um, if you work at it, uh, you can find them. Yeah, I think I have to say I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, we've definitely seen the same. I and mean, the founders that we've talked to have said the same, the same sort of thing. So, you know, and we're trying our best to, to to tell founders about what is available. So hopefully we can help with that a little bit. Given that you know, you're running this uh, Crowdcube campaign at the moment, you've kind of hit this milestone with your wind tunnel testing. So what are you most excited for next? Uh, working with professional athletes, uh, for sure. I mean, it's our first opportunity to work with customers and to really show the value of, of what we're doing. Um, it felt so good to to know that we could show the world that it worked coming out of the wind tunnel, um, but uh, to actually give someone real value for that um, is uh, is going to feel great. Um, and I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to sound opportunistic, but it looks like the Olympics are going to get pushed off a year, um, and so um, I, I am uh, <laughs> quietly excited about that because that might give us an opportunity to, within our first year of operation, um, have helped someone, uh, you know, at something as high as the Olympic level already. Well, it's nice to know that some people are feeling positive about what's coming out of the, the, the pandemic times. <laughs> yeah, you know, every cloud is a silver lining, right? Yeah. I mean, most of us probably haven't seen it yet. And, and uh, that's that just sort of, that's been unfolding in the last couple of days and kind of hit me that, wow, you know, we, we were, uh, we thought we would kind of miss the, the boat on this time around, uh, but but maybe not. Very exciting, very exciting. So, um, so last question for you. Um, what's your biggest need 
as a company right now? <laughs> a physical location to develop out of. <laughs> what being being allowed outside? Well, yeah, be, being able, uh, even if it was just our mechanical engineer, being able to have access to a space where we could have our, our full development lab instead of him trying to work out of his garage and me out of my uh, spare bedroom and the rest of our team, you know, dealing with data that we're, we're sending them remotely. Um, there is, when you're building a physical device, the, I, I have not seen a team successfully work you know, fully remotely yet. There's just when you're when you're working with real things, you need to, to all be in the same space seeing that. Um, and so I think we're going to miss that. And that is that's really the, the biggest thing um, that, uh, yeah, that is is on my on my mind. Um, this is uh, <laughs> kind of a crazy week. The biggest thing on my mind sort of changes uh, day by day as, as uh, the, the situation shifts on the ground. But yeah, that's uh, having had to pull all that out of our, our space today. That's definitely the biggest thing on my mind. Great. Well, Thanks, Eric. That's been really great to chat to you and really great to catch up. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Good luck with the crowdfunding. Thank you. Um, and I, w I guess I'd just like to extend the opportunity to anybody listening to uh, to feel free to, to reach out and um, uh, connect. I, I, I don't feel like I know enough people in the Brighton startup community uh, yet. Um, so um, if this is an opportunity to, to meet others and, and connect some more, I'd, I'd welcome that. Amazing. Thanks for that, Eric. Yeah, well, like I said, good luck. And um, yeah, we'll see you very soon. Great. Thank you, Tim. You've been listening to the Brighton Startup Podcast. Be sure to check us out at brightonstartup.com and join us next week for another episode as we continue to discover Brighton's most exciting startups and the people behind them.